This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to episode 48 of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. My name is Nick Berlansky. As always, I am joined by Nicholas J. Horwat. Let me ask you a very important question, Horwat. How are you doing today? Doing good. Bright and early in the morning. I woke up five minutes ago. Well, you're up and ready to go, though. That's all that matters. Right out of the shoots. Ready to go. And speaking of right out of the shoots, that's what the Penguins look like. On Tuesday night against the New Jersey Devils, now albeit against the last place in the Metropolitan Division, New Jersey Devils, they have played well as of late. So what we are going to do today, we're going to go over that Devils game as well as a look at the last 11 games as to where the Penguins stand as well as where they're going. Because we're going to take a look at how they've played in the last 11 and how important this next stretch of games is. But let's start it off by talking about what already happened. The Pittsburgh Penguins defeated the New Jersey Devils 5-2 on Tuesday in Newark, New Jersey. Pretty good win for the team. Yeah, it looked really good. I mean, it looked fast right right away. Like, And by fast, I mean, not only did they play with speed, they played like they you know, cared a little more than they have than in recent games. And, and, you know, New Jersey was answering right back. They were pretty quick the entire game, too, and they have some fast players on their team. Gusev made fast made some pretty quick breaks every now and again for one. You know, Hughes is still something to be still a person to be watched at all times and you know, it wasn't a game that was a given right off, right away. And it wasn't a given the entire night. It was important to still pick up the win obviously whether you want to discuss how quote unquote bad the team is or not, but I'm taking how good or bad a team is, for the moment at least, out of these conversations and saying we're at least winning important games that we need to win because now every game is an important game going down the stretch. Yeah, the New Jersey Devils have beaten some very good opponents as of late. Of course, they beat the Capitals a couple weeks ago when Ovi scored his 700th goal in the Prudential Center. But as of right now, the Penguins need to win the games that they should win. And against the team against New Jersey... You might be in New Jersey, but you should win that game. And like you said, they looked a lot better right off the get-go. They looked a lot faster, which is another thing right off the get-go. One thing that jumped out to me throughout the entire game is the bottom six in particular. The whole lineup played fairly well on Tuesday, and and we'll give them all their due, of course, of getting Malkin a three-point night and Chris Letang definitely living up to his Mr. Everything moniker, which we'll get to in a little bit. But that bottom six, especially... The Evan Rodriguez, Jared McCann, Patrick Hornquist third line looked really good. Erod played really well last night, and something that they mentioned at the top of the sh- the top of the game. Sorry, not the top of the show. He's drawn five penalties in seven games as a Pittsburgh Penguin. That's something that is produced by his speed, and then of course he gets his first goal with an absolute snipe of a shot right over Mackenzie Blackwood's glove hand, which I didn't even see go in. So, what did you think about the bottom six on Tuesday's game? I didn't see that goal go in either. At you know. I thought my point. TV glitched. <laughs> I, even the replays didn't look like it went in. I never once saw an overhead shot of that. No, I didn't. I didn't. I don't recall seeing one either. So it was crazy because I was like, "Oh, why are we celebrating a goal that clearly didn't go in?" And then, guess it did. I wasn't even looking. I just like looked back up at the screen and the puck was rolling away from the net. I thought he hit the post. But that being said, the rest of the 
The rest of that line looked really good, yes. Played really well, and it's about time Rodriguez... Not it's about time Rodriguez did something, but it's good that he did something of note because, I mean, drawing penalties on this team, you're not doing much to help. <laughs> I mean, it should be. In it co- should, like, yeah. It should be a help, but as of right now, it, it really isn't. I mean, the second yeah. power play the Penguins had in that game, they looked fairly good. They had a lot of chances, they just didn't end up scoring. And of course, it led to Jack Hughes' breakaway right after the end of the end of the power play, but yeah. I think as a, as a unit, they played really well. They got a couple pucks on net. Their puck retrieval on that second power play of the game was really good, which is something that's important. You saw Zucker and Hornquist going after the puck and retrieving the rebounds, getting it and cycling it back to the top with Malkin and Schultz and, and Crosby. The puck movement was well. It was a little bit faster, but at the same time, it's it's getting there. Yeah. And you don't even have to score. It's still just getting there as in you need to be able to have those type of power plays consistently because the other couple power plays they had during this game that it it did not look like the second one no absolutely not i mean the important part to a power play is is just shooting it i mean i don't know if i said it on here but no i could have because we did we hadn't recorded since then during the hurricanes game i was in the car i was driving my mom back from the airport and I had the Hurricanes game on, and we started our, I think we started the first power play, whichever one was going into the 5-on-3. Phil Bork sounded like one of us. He just was silent and said, keep it simple, keep it simple. He said it over and over, just pass and shoot, pass and shoot. Don't try and do the cute things. <laughs> Malkin scores with the second left on the 5-on-3. There's a, there's a quick pause after Mike Lang you know, does his thing, and Phil Bork just goes, thank you. <laughs> and that was it. That's all he said. He said, "Thank you." Just, I lost you got the it. fuck on that. I lost it because that's because he sounded like one of us saying, yeah. "Thank you for finally doing what everyone has been saying," and it worked. You see how it worked. Granted, I don't think we scored on the power play since then, but at least it looks like we're taking a turn and we're at least doing the simple things and not trying to be too cute with everything. And that's what exactly what it looked like on the second power play last night. Whenever we were just getting it around and just taking shots and we were keeping it in too it's not even like we had to keep retrieving we were doing a good job of keeping. Uh, i just it mean like rebounds yeah like rebounds into the corner they the zucker and hornquist were usually the first of the puck even malkin got down there and was the first of the puck so on that particular power play that's what you want to see because eventually if you keep that kind of pressure up you're gonna score goals with the talent you have and like you said keep shooting the puck i get that it's kind of a mouth breather quote-unquote comment to say shoot the puck but on the power play whenever you watch the penguins power play that is what is wrong the rest at five on five that is not an issue the penguins get the puck to the net very often at five on five it's when they have that man advantage that they really need to as soon as you get an opening put it on net because yeah Patrick Hornquist in front of the net is going to find a rebound. Jason Zucker is going to float around there, going to get a rebound. These guys can put the rebounds into the net, so you just got to get it on net every chance you have on the power play. And the big thing is puck retrieval off of rebounds, and that's what I think Hornquist and Zucker did really well on Tuesday, and that's something that is going to help this power play going forward. And you mentioned the 5-on-3 against Carolina. The last mm-hmm. three games have featured a 5-on-3. I don't remember the last time I've I've even remembered that happening. Washington game, it turned the tide, and we never got it back. Carolina game, we scored, but it it didn't really help all that much because we got killed in the third period. This game, in the third period, at the beginning of the third period, when the Penguins are only holding a one-goal lead, a five-on-three against 
So a chance to see our penalty kill try to deal with a five on three. And it was a minute and 52 seconds, no less. Almost an entire five on three. Crosby gets a stick infraction, which, okay, happens. It, you got to control your stick better. But then Chris Letang. Let's get into his third period, which is the epitome of why I call him Mr. Everything. Gets angry because Miles would quote-unquote dives from what he, he seemed to believe on that play, off the faceoff. Follows him, a little jawing. That's fine. That's all fine. And right in front of the ref, you hacksaw Jim Duggan, his stick out of his hands, sending it whole way across the neutral zone and take a stupid penalty only 8 or 10 seconds in to your penalty kill. Now your team's on the 5-on-3 disadvantage, a team that desperately needs to get this win, especially with the, the teams coming up in the schedule, which we'll talk about later. And all of a sudden, your team is down. Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang, who, believe it or not, are two of their best penalty killers. They have a lot of good penalty killers on this team, but those two have spent a lot of time on the penalty killer and a reason it's a top 10 kill in the league. Mm -hmm. But then it might be the turning point of the season. That's how I see this kill. Rust sells out, blocks a shot. Bluger sells out, blocks a shot. Hughes lunged into the net, knocking it off for some reason. That helped out a lot. And it, in the end, it's a massive penalty kill. You know what happens later? Latang comes out of the box. Not even not even five minutes later. Latang out of the box. Makes a good pinch, which is important. Pokes the puck up to Malkin. Boom, it's three to one. Just taking the momentum from the five on three and shoving it into a two-goal lead. That might be the turning point of this team right now and get them out of their slump. That's what I believe, at least. What did you think about that entire sequence in the third period? It was scary, I can tell you that. I immediately thought, this damn team's going to break my heart again, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Been doing a lot of that lately. I sat both, I had two hoods on, a blanket fully over me. like Kind of like how I look right now, except, you know, at night. <laughs> and I was at like, this team's about to, yeah, like, to break my heart again, aren't they? And I'm going to go home sad. But, um, no, it was a good, it was really good to see, and... Those are the kills you want. I know you have a great penalty kill, but it's still scary to see a team go down five on three because that's almost guaranteed. As Especially as... when it's two minutes long. Almost yeah. two minutes long. Yeah. Any team would be able to take advantage of that for that long. You know, it's good that we pulled through that and we were able to turn the tide of... I mean, we were winning the game, so I'm not going to say we were turning the tide of the game, but we were able to set ourselves you know, up to get the insurance and can add to it. To the point where, you know, Latang of all people was able to get that two hundred foot empty net goal. So the important things do matter in those, you know, small little details, and that's one of them. As for turning around the whole season, uh, it'd be a nice little start. I'm I don't I'm not too sure where the season turnaround's gonna be because we gotta continue turning it around. Those are one of those things you have to look back at and say, that's what turned it around. Um, for now I can agree with it for sure, because that really is kind of what set the standard for the game yesterday for us. Going forward, we just got to continue some success, and it shouldn't be, you know, terribly difficult to do that if we can keep playing like that. You played an entire team game on Tuesday. The Penguins did, excuse me. And you mentioned Latang, the 200-footer, empty net. And there's a reason I call him Mr. Everything. And I know you know the reason, but for those listeners that haven't heard me say it in a while, he's Mr. Everything because he does everything for the Pittsburgh Penguins. On the ice, more than any player 
for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's the leader of the defense corps, but he's also the leader in turnovers, and he's the leader of making stupid mistakes that lead to goals. This was the epitome. Takes a bad penalty. Okay, two minute five on three. Your team bails you out. What do you do? Amazing pinch. Getting it to Malkin makes it three to one. Then, right after that, the Miles Wood goal, Latang, instead of just continuing to skate back, stops skating in the neutral zone and flails the stick up like he's going to swat it out of the air and get a high stick infraction. Instead, it drops right down to Wood. He scores the goal. Okay, so it's two bad mistakes to one good play. And then, of course, the 200-footer evens it up. Latang being Mr. Everything, he's one goal off from his career high in goals. He might get that in the last, what, 10 games that the Pittsburgh Penguins have, but... If he can continue to do the good things and try to start limiting the stupid mistakes, like, I don't know, not sending somebody else's stick halfway across the neutral zone, right in front of the referee, that's where Chris Letang becomes the person that we talk about saying his number might be in the rafters. Once he starts limiting those things and you get the good things, you get the good pinches, the fantastic assists, you get the closing out a game, which Jack Johnson getting tabletopped by a referee might be the best thing I've seen in the past month and a half of hockey. Uh, it it might be. That ref seemed to be in the way a lot of the game, too. Uh, you know, I remember my first beer. <laughs> Apparently. I'll tell you what, it goes to show how much um, faith that this team is putting into Jack Johnson defensively, too. Yeah, with the empty netter out there, you have him and Latang on the defensive zone, which... Yes, we saw that a lot when players were injured, but as I'll get into a little bit later, it's better that he's on the fourth line, and it's better that he's away from Chris Letang in most situations. So we'll get into that yeah. a little bit later. Any other final remarks on the Pittsburgh Penguins versus New Jersey Devils game? Pens win at 5-2. to two. Any closing remarks on, on that game for you? Again, it's we said it before, it's, just, it's the first one. <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm going to look at it as it's not the first one. It's kind of the second one in four. Or two of four. Three of five. Three of five? Yeah, we lost two over the weekend, one two during the week last week. Is it, oh, so it is three of five. Yes. Well, then I was just ignoring Ottawa because really that didn't count at all. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at that, that is I when the Pittsburgh now, yeah. Penguins got Marino and Dumoulin back. So since then, they're three of five. Three now, of the, five. Two, the three teams they've beaten are all bottom of the standings teams, and the two teams they've lost to are Metropolitan Division contenders. So. That might be something to look into a little bit, but as of right now, the Penguins have won three of five. Still, they've won three of 11 as well, going back mm-hmm. to the beginning of this losing streak. So that's something we're going to talk about when we come back. And you talked about it a little bit, and so did I. That five-on-three penalty kill, you said that's something that we look back after, maybe after you win the next couple games and say, oh, that's where it started. All I'm saying is it seems to be a possible thing that you take that five-on-three in the third when you're up two-to-one in a game where you should win, and you're playing well, you just go away with it. You run away with the game. You win by the margin that you should win, which is three goals against this team, and now you head into these this stretch of games against wildcard contenders that could possibly end up passing the Pittsburgh Penguins. So we're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we will tell you what went wrong during the Pens' last 10-game, 11-game stretch and what to look for this upcoming weekend. We'll be right back. The push for the playoffs is underway, and while the Penguins will hopefully not be getting a lottery pick, 15 other teams will be, and you can win big for predicting the correct draft order. The Hockey Podcast Network has partnered with Tankathon and Cool Hockey to bring you the first ever NHL Draft Lottery Contest, 
where the winner will receive a $200 Cool Hockey gift card. To enter, first visit tankathon.com NHL, click Sim Lottery until you see an order you think will be correct, and then screenshot your 15-team draft order. Then just visit us at our Twitter page at Iceberg Podcast and comment on our pinned tweet with your screenshotted draft order. All that's left to do is retweet the post and tag two of your friends to be entered for a chance at a $200 gift card to Cool Hockey. Only one entry per Twitter handle. All entries must be submitted by April 8th, and you must be following Tankathon, Cool Hockey, and the Hockey Podcast Network to qualify. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, episode 48, Nick Horwat. We've, we've done 48 of these things, which means a week from today, or at least the day that this is dropping, we will do episode 50. And we do have something pretty special for you guys. We're going to try to get it done and we'll have... A nice little treat for you guys on episode 50, and maybe a treat for you guys on Monday and Thursday next week, so stay tuned for that. Ooh, interesting. That'll be fun. Let's take a look at the last 11 whole games for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Of course, that entire stretch starting with the 4 to nothing loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs. In that time, the Pittsburgh Penguins are 3-8-0. and zero. They're 3-4 and four against teams not in playoff contention, which is not a great record, but they are 0-4 oh against teams in playoff contention. That could be an issue considering the next seven games the Penguins play are against teams in contention. A couple more quick stats for you on that 11-game stretch. They're averaging 3.8 goals allowed per game versus 2.5 goals four per game. So, again, not great numbers there, and, of course, negative 18 goal differential. So, to you, Horowat, what has been the biggest issue for this team during this stretch of 11 games where they've struggled to get consistent points and consistent play? Uh, continually, you know, Game after game, I've said it. I think it's the damn power play. Every time we get a power play anymore, I'm thinking just pack it in. Don't give it to us. We don't need it. We're better off giving them one and then maybe getting a shorthanded goal, at least as of recently. I don't know who's running it, but it needs to be changed. Mark Recchi is actually in charge of the power play. Well, that needs to change. What, Mark Recchi or the power play? The way he handles the power play, I'd say. Recky has been doing perfectly fine. I don't know what else he does, but, I mean, I haven't hated him yet, so. <laughs> if he doesn't that. fix this power play, he's going to have a lot of enemies in Pittsburgh by the end of the season. Yeah, and personally, I think I like to talk it more, but, I mean, Rick Talkett is more of a head coach-style guy. We've seen it in Arizona this year, so having a couple head coaches usually works out. I mean, it's working out in Philly now, so there's that. I like Mark Recky now. I may have liked Talkett more, but. Recky, I feel like, should be able to fix this kind of power play. Just figure out a new system, figure out a new style, whatever it may be. Before the game, I was contemplating, is it time to throw everything into a blender and seeing what comes out? Not yet. They've proved me wrong on that again. So, hold pat on you know, what your lines may look like, but maybe switching up a style and seeing what could happen from there. Power play seemed to be our biggest issue. Um, also, whenever I was, you know, driving and listening to the game on the radio uh, face-offs was also another one that's something I'm I'm sure is I just haven't noticed but that's this team has really struggled with face-offs for all of recent memory Sidney Crosby is always a pretty decent face-off guy Evgeny Malkin is much better this season but before this season Evgeny Malkin was awful in the face-off dot right. Jared McCann doesn't 
constantly play center. So it's something that you look at that that could be an issue. And when you're losing it so much in your defensive zone, it could really be an issue. But you mentioned the power play and you said that you should almost give the other team a power play instead of taking a power play. It's all a momentum swing thing because you have a top 10 penalty kill. You kill that penalty, your team has momentum. We saw it against New Jersey and we talked about it ad nauseum. Killing a penalty like that can lead to enough momentum to score at 5-on-5. Conversely, when your power play is so bad, it gives the other team that momentum, just completely shifts the game. But I don't think that's the biggest problem for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay. It's a pretty systematic issue. One, they're not getting great goaltending. But at the same time, it's not all their goaltending's fault. Tristan Jari in this stretch is 0-4 with an 8.45 save percentage and 18 goals allowed in four games. He's very much regressed. And that's not something that is all his fault. But at the same time, you've given up five goals to the Sharks. You've given up six goals to the Carolina Hurricanes. You have to play better if you want to get these. And Matt Murray, who has kind of been named the de facto starter, they haven't said anything yet, but it seems like he got three starts in a row last week. He got a start this week. I'm sure he'll start a couple, two if not all three of the games this weekend. Matt Murray seems to be the de facto starter. And in this run, he's three and four but he only has an 872 save percentage. So not much better. So the goaltending needs to be improved. Not all of it is on them because the defense has given up a lot of odd man rushes, which is the other thing I'll get to. The forwards are having their worst shooting percentage run of the season. Yep. Which is leading to these odd man rushes. Because yeah, they're trying to score so much and the forwards are struggling with their shooting percentage that the defense is jumping up in the play saying, we need to get them more chances. We need to get them more chances. We need to get them out of their rut. And it's causing the defense to be out of position so many times. You get the odd man rushes. You saw so many against Washington because their turnaround speed and the way that they were able to turn the puck over and keep going was so good in that game. It really highlighted the Pittsburgh Penguins' issues. But it's not an issue at 5-on-5, five five, the regular play. If they stop overcompensating on the defensive side, you won't give up as many odd man rushes. And your goaltender's save percentage will go up. All of a sudden, you look like a playoff contending team. We saw it a little bit against New Jersey. The Pittsburgh Penguins, during this entire stretch of 11 games that we're talking about, they've averaged 32.4 shots and allowed only 26.9. So they're out shooting opponents easily almost every game. Their average team, Corsi 4, which is basically the percentage is a measure of possession through shot attempts is at 53.8%. So they're they're controlling possession and shooting more than they're allowing shots, which obviously you heard from the average shots to average shots allowed. The thing is with the defense, once those, those pairings have gotten healthy, your best pairing, can you guess what the best pairing is when it comes to possession? You said after it got healthy? Yeah, the fully healthy lineup since the Ottawa game. Can you guess what the best pairing is when it comes to Corsi? And possession. I go with the first. Nope. And not even by a long shot. That makes sense, I guess. The first pairing is about average for the NHL standard in those games. They're at a 51.95% Corsi, which is, is okay. It's average for the NHL. It's definitely not Justin or Jack Johnson and Justin Schultz. They're yeah, at 43.1. They're, they're struggling, but they also get sheltered minutes, so they're not out there as long. Yeah. It's the Dragon, Marcus Pedersen, and John Marino. 62%. Was... Yeah, that was going to be my guess anyway, I think. 62.26% combined Corsi 4 in these, what is it, five games now since the entire defense has been healthy. 
they are killing it on the back end in possession, in shot attempts, and in plus minus. So they're playing extremely well. If you have a good second pair in the length that, and of course Dumoulin Latang 52% around, is pretty good, especially considering the level of play of the opponents that are coming down against them. So it's something that you got to keep an eye on. Chris Letang's average is fifty around 52. Dumoulin's is around 52. But Marino at a 60% Corsi in those games, and Pedersen at 62% possession rate. That's amazing. Those two guys are playing right now at above average and at elite levels in those just five games. It's a small sample size, I get that. But they're playing at an elite level. John Marino is third on the team in average time on ice. The 22-year-old is third on the team in average time on ice. And and fourth is Marcus Pedersen. Of course, Jack Johnson brings up the rear with only 17 minutes and 53 seconds in that time. But these guys are playing extremely well. Marino's time on ice is around the same as Dumoulin, so... It's going to be an important factor to see how Mike Sullivan uses these guys. I think they're controlling the puck well, and the issue has just been the lack of scoring. You get Evgeny Malkin going, you get Sidney Crosby going, you get the third and fourth lines going like you did in New Jersey. Then your defense doesn't have to pinch as well, or as much, and they limit the amount of odd man rushes, and all of a sudden your goaltending's better. So it all circles back to one thing. You just got to produce more at a forward level. That's going to help out the defense. That's going to help out the goaltenders. And that's my TED Talk on Corsi. Good. And it's and you're very much right about that. The goaltending does need to be better. And, it, you know, we've seen it be, you know, pretty damn stellar throughout the season. From both guys, we've seen them play very well, play some very good games and play very well overall. I mean, Even, like, a couple of those games we lost during the streak, like, we lost, I think it was anaheim game two to one didn't we lose one two to one or am i making that up la game that okay just got it confused like it's just a mix mash of that entire western california road trip yeah i mean like two or three of those games you know the san jose game will keep out because that was just bad shit wrecking yeah but you know la and anaheim not those weren't like we were giving up a goal every you know time they shot it and you know two is a you know, easy number to overcome offensively. We just have to score more. Three can be an easy number to overcome. That's usually where you want to stop it at, at three at the most per game, you know. But with that being said, yeah, the goaltending needs to improve vastly because even in the wins we've been getting, we've been giving up a few a few goals here and there that should probably be saved and stopped and, you know, such stuff. But overall... If the goaltending improves and the defense plays their game, everyone's okay and perfectly fine. That's just the way it is. So I'm in agreement with you as well when it comes to saying that the goaltending needs to improve along with defense and how they play. Yeah, and Jesse Marshall had a new post in The Athletic that I, that I just read, and his thing was you can't pinch unless you're 100% sure or at least 75% sure that you're going to get to that puck. And that's something that the Pittsburgh Penguins haven't been doing. They've been pinching for pinching's sake to, to kind of tweak a little Herb Brooks quote there. They're jumping up, trying to help the forwards, which is great. I get it. Support your forwards, trying to get them out of this rut. But the Pittsburgh Penguins are out-shooting opponents. They are out-possessing opponents at 5-on-5. Five five. The big things, you mentioned pen- power play, huge. Start being effective on the power play. Start making that a factor in the game a little more than you have. And the other thing is, 
don't try to overcompensate for these forwards. You have a great forward lineup. There's a reason we have 16 or at least 15 when healthy NHL capable forwards. Now, Nick Bugstad, I don't know if he's ever going to be a fully healthy forward in the NHL, at least not for more than a five game span, but the defense just don't overcompensate. That's the biggest thing. We, we went over all of that with Corsi for one reason to tell you that these guys are playing well at five on five. It's just pinching and overcompensating for the forwards that are trying to get out of the worst rut of the season so far. So just do that. And I think they'll be fine, especially with this thing coming up before we get into the schedule coming up this weekend. Let's talk about Nick Bukestad a little bit. What, what did you think when you saw that he was out week to week with an injury? Not only out week to week with an injury, but an injury that has nothing to do with his core muscle injury that he just returned from. Oh, I just laughed. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> I, I It sucks to just laugh at that, but I was just like, of course he is. Of course he's hurt again. Like, like you, You've got to be kidding me. How are you always hurt? Like, How do you continuously get hurt? He is a bigger guy. I get that. And more things can go wrong with a bigger guy as... Nick Bukestad's a bigger guy, but come on, man. Is he the new Bo Bennett? I saw a lot of people saying that online. Yeah, I mean... Is okay, it Bo Bukestad? Let's, let's not go that far yet. <laughs> I don't know. He's only played what? How many games has he played this season? Can't, uh, it can't be that many. 15 games? Maybe 15. 14 or 15. Because he was at let's 10 see. before he came back. Jason Zucker is at 15 games played. Nick Bukestad is at 13. Yeah, because he, he came back after everyone else. He came back in the Buffalo game, played against Buffalo, played against Washington, played against Carolina, and now he's week to week, which means he probably won't be with the team until at least the last week. Does he even make the lineup at this point? Keep him off. Keep him off. Keep him out of the lineup? Keep him out, I'd say. Especially with that third line. The way that McCann, Rodriguez, and Horkfist played together. Oh my god. Those three, and then follow that up with Aston Reese, Bluger, Tanev as your fourth line. Whew. That's and I don't mind Lafferty on that fourth line either. Lafferty, I thought, played really well yesterday. Yeah, because you got to figure... Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, Lafferty. Because you got to figure Simone and, you know, as you said, Zach Aston Reese are eventually going to come back too. So there goes Lafferty out of the lineup. I don't think Dom Simone has a lineup spot when he comes back. I, I really don't. I think Connor Sherry started to play really well on that first line. I think Patrick Marlowe has really found a spot. Oh, I didn't. Wing. I never thought Marlowe was going to get scratched at all. Anyway, mm-hmm. I just anyone, don't. I don't know where Dom Simone fits. That's the only thing I'm saying. I mean, we're not afraid to scratch Rodriguez. Apparently, unless he can turn his, not turn his game around, but like if he can continue his great play that he had on, you know, Tuesday, then yeah, he holds on to one. If but he can we keep know playing at that our, level, I don't see a way. Exactly. I mean, I. But we also we know our coaching staffs love and affection for Dominic Simone. So yeah, that, that is true. Sort of like, sort of like Jack Johnson. Yeah. So for all we know, we could see, I don't know who, who don't we like, we could see a defenseman getting, we could see Rico getting scratched for Dom Simone, even though that makes no sense. Cause they're both, you know what I mean though? Anyone uh, could go down. Yeah. I'm saying I'm not shocked if anyone goes down because they want to shove Simone back in this lineup. Yeah, I understand that. I can even see Zach Aston Reese getting getting jumped by Dom Simone. Yeah. When they come back. But at the same time, Simone is great, but there's so many guys on this team that do what he does now. Yeah. Rodriguez does what he does. Sherry does what he does. Marlowe's been doing what he does. He, he doesn't they might not have as great of a playmaking ability as Dom Simone, but they do what he does, and I don't think they need somebody like that on the fourth line. I think they need somebody like Zach Aston Reese, who's great defensively 
to go on that line with Bluger and Tanev. Yeah. So I, it's going to be interesting. Zach Aston Reese is skating. I don't know if Dom Simone is skating currently, but it's something to keep an eye on. And when they come back again, keep an eye out for Mike Sullivan's decision-making because it's definitely been a highlight of the last couple of weeks with all these guys coming back from injury. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if um, Simone's first game, you know, available, he's back to being available. He'll be put in, you know, and just kind of as a, let's see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Like that wouldn't surprise me. And I wouldn't be upset at that because that's kind of probably what they're going to do regardless. Yeah. But if it doesn't look good, just don't keep him in there. <laughs> it's the time of season that teams that should be solidified in a playoff spot tinker with their lineup to see, who, okay, who's going to be in, who's going to be out come game one of the playoffs. Pittsburgh Penguins gave up that luxury in this last stretch run. You can't tinker because you need the points, especially with what we're going to talk about now, which is the next three games. It is a murderer's row of wildcard teams. Starting against Columbus later on tonight, the Penguins are 2-1 and one against Columbus this season. Columbus currently sits in the wildcard two spot and are 3-4-3 three, and three in their last 10. Interesting because the Penguins' only game in Columbus they lost, and that was on Black Friday earlier this year, and they got killed. It was one of the worst performances of the, of the season. So that's where this needs to continue. They need to carry that momentum from the New Jersey game against Columbus. What do you think about the Columbus Blue Jackets matchup tonight? And do you think the Penguins are going to match up well with this team that is scratching and clawing for a playoff spot? Uh, which goalie are they down to? I think they have both of them back, do they not? Oh, okay, got it. I honestly had no idea. I think that that's their biggest situation. And maybe they're, you know, Seth Jones is out-out, isn't he? Seth Jones is out-out, yes. Okay. So that's a team that, you know, is like you said, is scratching and clawing for a playoff spot. They really are. They're scratching and clawing for everything they can get because they've, you know, had similar injury issues except there's more on a back-end situation to the point where we were for a little bit considering Merce Lincoln's as a Rookie of the Year candidate. Not anymore, I'd say, but... It's the same thing with the Philadelphia Flyers. Show me that you're more than a hot streak. And the Flyers exactly. lost on Tuesday to Boston, so we'll see how they how they rebound from losing that, that winning streak. But yeah. as far as Columbus is concerned, they're still a dangerous team. I mean, they're 33-22-15. and 15. Talk about picking up the pity points. Yeah. And they're... You know, they're not an easy team, especially against us. They know how to handle us. I mean, we've been manhandled by them on a number of occasions of the last few seasons. and Especially at Nationwide Arena. As they almost always in their building. That mm-hmm. damn cannon. <laughs> that damn cannon. Uh-huh. The damn cannon and the damn fifth line. They get us every time. <sighs> Got them. But, yeah, it's... That's the game. Just is if we don't get manhandled and we can come out of there, like we've done it before. We've also beat. We've also manhandled them in their arena. These are not always lopsided games between the two of us, but more often than not, you'll you know remember games of just it was all one way or it was all the other. You know, so that's a pattern that I kind of expect to continue. We just have to be the one taking advantage, and you know if they're. Did you find the goalie thing? I don't know which one they're down. Or did you say they're back? They're or? both healthy. Okay, so, I mean, not that, not that you know, their goalies are stellar. I think it's Corpus Solo. quality. They're, yeah. They're quality, just what I would say Matt Murray and Tristan Jari are right now. They're quality goaltenders. 
I mean, they weren't Bobrovsky, but then again, Bobrovsky is a Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky right lost his spot to somebody named Chris Drieger, who also beat the Penguins earlier this season. So I guess I shouldn't say much. I mean, he kind of, in a way, lost his spot to Jonas Corposalo and true. Elvis Merslinkins. So at least it's not a Zamboni driver, I guess. That is very true. But speaking of Zamboni drivers, unless you had something else to say about Columbus, no, those are two goalies that I just know we can beat and. We just have to do it. Yep. Carolina Hurricanes on Saturday night. We played them last Sunday. Did not go well. Especially in that third period, it did not go well. Of course, that means we're 0-1 against them this season. Still have three matchups, including this one, coming up on Saturday against the Carolina Hurricanes because, you know, scheduling. Fantastic NHL. Well done. Carolina currently sits in the wild card one spot. And then their last 10, not great, but probably one of the better last 10s in the Metropolitan Division. They're 5-4-1. So what do you think about the Carolina Hurricanes matchup? Do you think the Penguins get back to even on the season series with them? Or do you think Carolina beats them in their own barn? Another one where I have to wonder who the hell is their goalie. I know it wasn't. Alex Nedeljkovic faced us on Sunday. Okay. And he's supposed to be the good one out of the two. Out of the two AHL ones that got called up? Yeah. Mrazik's also practicing. So there might be a chance we see. That was my next question is when are they the professional ones expected to be back? You know, not that goaltending is, you know, the end-all, be-all for these teams being good or bad because an NHL-caliber goaltender can make saves regardless. But it is just something that gives a bit of a confidence boost for the Penguins if they're playing against a guy who's, you know, maybe not as um, experienced in the NHL. It gives you more of an idea of, all right, then just put put a puck on net because he doesn't really know what to do, how he's going to do it. He's maybe a little not as confident in there yet and that's just something that if you're in the penguin spot you need to take advantage of Uh, i don't know how you know the hurricanes defense is looking right now but all i know is that if they're down to their third slash fourth string goalie that's just something you gotta take advantage of more than what you did last game obviously yeah they have dougie hamilton and brett pesci are both out and Somebody else is out on their defensive side, too. So they're a very injured team. And it's not like we didn't get a lot of shots on Nedeljkovic last Sunday. We had 30 shots. Carolina just had 36. It's one of the few games we got outshot in this past 11-game stretch. But this team is a good team. It's well-coached. Rod Brindamore has these guys ready to play almost every night they show up. The man games that they have down, and the man games missed, Columbus, Carolina, and Pittsburgh are all probably tops in the Metropolitan Division. Yeah, I the finally impact got the of players. Numbers. The Penguins are 302. Jesus. Over 300 man games missed. That's ridiculous. Either way you split it. But it does allow for some players to come up, like for Pittsburgh, a Sam Lafferty, or for an even bigger impact for Carolina, Morgan Geeky. Yeah. Does it sound his name sound familiar? If no. not, if not, it will soon. Scored two yeah. goals against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Sunday. Scored a goal on Tuesday. Three goals on his first three NHL shots. Pretty impressive. We'll see if he stays up. And if he's still playing, maybe an impact player. He played really well against the Penguins. It wasn't just his two goals. He played well the entire 60 minutes. So keep an eye out for Morgan Geeky and, of course, obviously, Sveshnikov and Aho and all those guys. So that's against Carolina. And the Pens finally return home against the New York Islanders. Talk about a team that has the Penguins number lately. The Penguins are 1-0-2 against them this season. All three games finishing in overtime. And all three games, including multi-goal comebacks, twice on the part of the New York Islanders and once 
on the part of the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Islanders currently sit in the last spot out, so currently not a playoff team, which is ridiculous and shouldn't be happening. And weirdly enough, on the Never Say Die podcast, the grumpy old man was optimistic about the Islanders on Monday. So that was a weird one. Listen to that. I kind of had to double double check who I was listening to. But in their last 10, the New York Islanders are 2, 4, and 4. Oh, book 4. What's with these teams taking a ton of OTLs, man? Yeah, I, I, I do not I Get do the not points know. where you can, I guess. But What do you think about the matchup with the Islanders? It's the last one of the season. They've all gone to overtime. And no matter what, I know the Islanders are struggling right now and they're missing one of their top defensemen and all this and that and they're not scoring goals. Listen, so are the Pittsburgh Penguins. And it doesn't matter because anytime the Penguins play the Islanders, it seems like the Islanders and their system, of course, coached by Barry Trotz, figure out a way to shut down the Pittsburgh Penguins offense, which right now is fairly dormant to begin with. So what do you think about this matchup on Sunday afternoon, 6 o'clock start time, New York Islanders wrapping up the weekend against the wild card roster? It's another back-to-back for us. Thankfully, they're not day games this time. We can get into day games another date, but another Saturday, Sunday back-to-back, and it's at home, which is really helpful, except for the fact you're traveling back from Carolina the night before. And it's one of those situations where the game is, yeah, under 24 hours. That that's, I mean, that's just not as much time to rest because you got the seven o'clock puck drop in Carolina. Let's say the game's three hours. You're done at ten. You're traveling back home at like midnight or so. Well, then now you got what twelve hours to get ready. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, there's not a morning skate on Sunday. I haven't heard a lot. Honestly, I haven't paid attention to a lot of morning skates at all this year. Anyway, but there probably won't be. Because you, know, you got to get your guys to rest, and it being six o'clock, at least it's not a day game where you have zero time to, you know, prep your day. Um, so I'm feeling confident in the in the second half of that back to back. It'll just depend on who gets put in net for us. I think for now, um, who played Carolina last time? Was that Jari? That was Jari. He got peppered, thirty six yeah. shots, giving up six goals. Because again, second half of a back to back. I'd you know what I would expect Jari to be put in for the islanders game i think i don't you know think why. he goes the second game they let matt murray do do you think they do matt murray on columbus and carolina yeah i think so that's what they did last week matt murray played against buffalo and then he played against washington so i can see i see the exact same thing especially because of how badly tristan jari played against carolina whether that's the back-to-back and whether or not he got peppered or not you're going to go with the other guy after that happens. So I think it's going to be Matt Murray, Matt Murray, Tristan Jari this weekend. And I believe you said the same thing. So let's let's see it. The grand old wizard Nick, what do you see in the crystal ball of the future for the Pittsburgh Penguins this weekend? Columbus, Carolina, New York, what is their record? Boy, it needs to be 3-0. and Would be very nice if it was 3-0. and <laughs> I'll be optimistic and say 2-1 and one then. Or optimistic. I'll be one do they in lose? the middle and say 2-1. and one. And... Just just to piss me off, we're going to lose that damn Columbus game. <laughs> just because of that damn cannon. Also, we have more. We have, what, two more back-to-backs after this one? Jeez. Yes. So whether they whether or not people want to have a goalie selected, we, we can't. <laughs> we just can't right now. But that's what I got going forward for us. Yeah, I agree with the two and one, but I don't think they're losing to Columbus. They lose to Columbus, they... it hurts a lot more than people expect, I think, too. Yeah, I think they beat Columbus, though. I Columbus just hasn't been playing well. They don't have the horses on the back end anymore. 
Corpusalo and Merzlinkins have cooled off since their respective really hot starts, and I know that they're both playing decently, and I know Columbus is fighting for a playoff spot, but I just don't see the Penguins losing them, especially coming off that game against New Jersey. I don't see them losing to Carolina either. I think a lot of what you saw last Sunday might have been a, a, coming off of a game against Washington where you had such a big letdown that you ran out of gas in the third period, and that's what happened. Now, I'm not chalking it all up to that. That's obviously a lame excuse if you're trying to chalk it up to that, but I think they beat Carolina on the road too. I think they finished the road trip that they're currently on at 3-0, and and I think they lose to the New York Islanders. As much as it sucks, I think the Islanders play them well enough. I think Trotz knows the system to play against the Pittsburgh Penguins, and whether or not they pick up their offense against Columbus and Carolina, I think the Islanders are well-equipped to slow them down enough to get the win on Sunday in PPG Pink Arena. So I'm going to say 2-1, and one, but I'm not going to agree with you. I think they beat Columbus, but I, I think they lose to the Islanders on Sunday. As long as we get wins and, and wins that we need and we don't lose to people who could just overtake us in standings. Because Columbus is a team right that's right behind us that I totally forgot about whenever I said that. So we just got to beat the right people, which you know, preferably is everyone. But if we're going to take losses, let's not let it be to teams who are closer to us than we think. If you look at it, the Pittsburgh Penguins currently sit in third place in the Metropolitan Division, which is where they're been their sitting ground for a couple of weeks now. Three points back of Philadelphia for home ice, four points back of Washington for first place, and we're all tied at 69 games apiece. But the teams we're playing, like we said, are all right beneath us. We have five points up on Carolina and Columbus, and we have six points up on the Islanders for the very last spot out. So we're six points ahead of the last team out. This weekend could be very big in separating us from them or can be very big in bringing us closer to them and making the last couple of weeks of the season a whole lot more stressful for you, for me, for Penguins fans, for the Pittsburgh Penguins, for everybody involved except for the hockey troll. So a big weekend here for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But that is all for episode 48 of the Tip of the Iceberg. You can follow Nick Horwat at NickHorwat41 on Twitter. You can follow me at Nick underscore Belansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. The tip of the iceberg can be found anywhere you get your podcast from. If you like us or even if you don't like us, please subscribe to us and rate the show. All feedback is accepted, but of course, five stars is preferred. The tip of the iceberg is brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can follow them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. Every team, everywhere, it's a big weekend, Pence fans. Let's get ready to go.